Acts chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1 down to verse 6 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Last week, we met a guy named Cornelius. Let's read about him here in verse 1. Acts 10 verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms. Alms is charity giving. He gave much alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, we'd say three in the afternoon, 3 p.m., an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked, up, looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So when you meet, when you find out Cornelius, he is a centurion, which is a military term, which means he's a captain over a hundred men. He's an Italian. He speaks with a funny accent and he likes a pizza and lasagna and pastrami. You know how it goes. Anyway, he's an Italian. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. This is something totally unusual that, that the Jews are supposed to Worry about the souls of Gentiles, and they never did. Here's this Gentile. He's living in a, a town called Caesarea, about 40, uh, 5, 42 kilometers north of, uh, 46 kilometers north of Joppa. And uh, he's a devout worshiper of God. He's not a pagan. I know. I don't know what they're doing to those kids back there. Just, just ignore it. Just ignore it. <laughs> he's a devout worshiper of God. This is... This is unusual. Here is a Gentile trying to find God, doing his best to worship God, but he's lost. He's unsaved. Now, he has a vision from God, as we just read. An angel appears and calls him by name, which would freak anybody out, and tells him, you need to call for a preacher. You need to get that preacher to come and speak to you and tell you what you need to do. Now, at the same time, Peter, about the next day, Peter has a vision, and he hears God tell him that things had changed. He sees a, a, a sheet. We call it a tablecloth. It's in the shape of an upside-down parachute because the four ends are, are tied, and all of these animals are being plopped down right in front of him. And the voice from heaven says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Have lunch. And Peter says, No way. There are unclean animals in there. There's, there's things that I've never touched. I never would. You commanded us not to in the Old Testament. And then God says, what I have cleansed, don't call unclean. Something has changed. Now, it happened at the cross. Some things have changed. And, and Peter's like, what, 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 what? And three times he goes through this, and he, he's not sure what God is telling him. Just then, uh, oh, so there's our picture of the thing. Somebody drew it out pretty cool. I like it. Just then, there's a knock at the gate, and the guy's calling, is, up, is there a Simon Peter in here? And Peter's up on the roof, and he says, you looking for me? And they say, yeah, there's a guy named Cornelius who wants to talk to you. Will you come? And he agrees to go. Um, uh, so um, we're, what we're looking at is God is working ahead of us. He's always at work, even when we don't know what's going on. And let's look there, and we'll pick up in verse 24 where we left off last week. 
and uh, Cornelius and his family, look what happens. Verse 24. In the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, it takes about a day or more to walk up there. And Cornelius waited for them. He was early at church. He can't wait to meet this preacher. Says he waited for them and he had called together his kinsmen and his near friends or kinsmen's family. So he's called together his family, his aunts, his uncles and his neighbors. Let's keep reading down to let's see where I want to go. 24. We'll all, all down to verse 33 and we'll come back. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet. And uh oh, we're going to have to deal with that. He worshiped him. Well, Cornelius is a good Italian. He worships the Pope, you know. Verse 26. But Peter took him up. I mean, he grabbed him fast, I bet, saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. I'm not God. I'm not deity. I'm not worthy of worship. I like that. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many that were come together. This was not a small little family gathering. This was huge. And he said unto them, Peter's talking, you know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean now. God has showed me that some things have changed. Verse 29, therefore I came I unto you without gainsaying, without arguing. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee. And thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now, I don't know if you saw anything in there, but there's some amazing things. First of all, a house church was born. Everybody, do you see the, 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 the characteristics of what is a, a, a church? A church is not the building. I'm glad for our building. We are blessed with this building. But this is not the church. The people are the church. And whether you meet in a house or in a shed, or out in the open, that's church. And this group of people, look what they are. They are assembled together, aren't they? What are they looking for? Not for food. It's nice to have fellowship and meals and stuff, but they're there waiting for somebody to preach. That's church. There's no music going on. There's no entertainment. I love singing. But church is about people the, hearing the word of God. And this is the beginning of a house church. Uh, Peter, as soon as he shows up there, he corrects some wrong worship. Go back there in verse 25. Peter, as he was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet. Now, I like greeting people at the door, but what if somebody came in and I fell at my feet, at his feet or her feet? You'd go, Pastor, get up. Come on, this is embarrassing. But this is what Cornelius did. He is worshiping. Jesus. Uh, and that was normal in that day. It's even normal now. All of Rome worshiped the emperor. If the emperor, Nero, shows up in a little while, 
uh, the book of Acts, when, when the emperor would enter a city, people would fall prostrate. They would worship him as Lord of Rome, as almost a god. I find today people fall down and they worship bishops and they worship the pope. See, they don't worship, they just give honor to. What are they doing kissing his ring for? That's a sign of worship. Uh, I've been to rock concerts back before I got saved. I've seen some real worship, folks, and it's worship of people. Didn't know it was worship of demons as well. I know people who worship angels and statues. And in the future, I got news for you. They're going to start worshiping aliens. You believe, believe me, all of these atheists who don't believe in God, when some demons start showing up as, as, as aliens in the future, they will bow down and worship them. Just hold on to your hats. It's going to get wild here in the next 10 years, if that. So Peter corrects Cornelius' wrong worship. And he says, I'm just a man. Isn't that a good recognition? Isn't that a good truth? This, we're just humans. I'm not a god. I'm not a deity. I'm just like you, Cornelius. As a matter of fact, Peter said several times, I am a wicked man. Now, I don't know if you like using that term, but that's the truth. You know what uh, Peter did? He had doubted Jesus time after again. He argued with Jesus. He denied even knowing Jesus when he was persecuted under pressure. He was not above anybody, and neither are we. We're just people. Thankfully, Cornelius accepted the correction. But worshiping humans is absolutely wrong. Take your Bible, hold your place here, go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Well, what about angels? Can we worship angels? No. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Last book of your Bible. Revelation 19, 9. This is an angel talking to... The Apostle John, verse 9, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, in this chapter, I want you to understand, John is seeing the most beautiful sights you've ever imagined. He's seen, he's seen heaven, streets of gold, New Jerusalem City, but he's seen the bride of Christ, the, 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 the group of body of believers that Jesus has died for and has saved and this, this group of people as, as one unit is stunning, and it affects him. And uh, verse 10, and I fell at his feet to worship who? To worship him. He starts getting this urge to start worshiping, and he worships this angel. And the angel said back unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship who? Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John doesn't get it quite read because in chapter 21, he does it again. Actually, chapter 22, he actually falls down to the same angel starts worship. And I'm sure the angel kicks him and says, I told you, don't worship me. Worship God. Now, uh, uh, the whole point of what Peter is going to talk about is, is the focus of this thing. Because when we, when, when we gather for church, what's our attention on? A lot of people, it ought to be on God. A lot of people, their attention is on themselves. Uh, I wonder if I have, you know, if, if I look right. I wonder if, if everybody's noticing, you know, the new car I'm driving. I don't know. If, I wonder if everybody's noticing me. Or it's on, oh, they, 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 
they got some new clothes or look, they've got a new phone. When when church is 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 gathered together, our focus is supposed to be on Jesus Christ and him alone. Only about Jesus. Did you know church is not about Peter? When Peter came in, Cornelius tried to make it about Peter and Peter fixed it and says, nope, listen to what I'm about to say. There are a lot of churches in the world, even in Ireland, where church is all about you. you, you they want worship your way. And that's not what church is. That's what McDonald's is. Okay. Church is not about our country. It's not about our politics. It's not even about our climate. There's so many pulpits being used to talk about climate change. That's a waste of your breath. We're here to talk about Jesus Christ because he can fix and he can mess up the climate at any moment. We gather here to honor him, to learn about him, to worship only him. We don't talk about Mary. I mean, I can learn about her, but I definitely don't worship her. We can talk about David and Moses and, 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 and Esther and, and Ruth, but we worship Jesus Christ. Let me just be real plain. Any religion or any church that is focused on anything other than Jesus Christ, if it's focusing on miracles, come to our church. We have miracles. Mm. Come to our church. We have free food. Mm. Come to our church for any other reason than to hear about Jesus Christ. You need to flee from it. You need to abandon it. That's not a church. Cornelius is starting a good church here. Now, Peter here, let's look at this. Look at back there at Acts chapter 10 and verse 40, uh, 30, 27. Go to the right verse. Acts 10, 27. And as he talked with him, he went in, Peter goes in, and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation, a Gentile nation. But God hath showed me. What's he admitting? God's teaching me. I'm learning something here, Peter says. God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter admits to a wrong doctrine. We call it Calvinism. We call it where somebody says that there are some people who are worthy of the gospel and God likes, and there are those that God rejects. God doesn't. You know what? We're all lost. We're all in need of the gospel. And Peter is learning that we Jews had a wrong idea of you Gentiles. We thought that you were beyond help. You were not worthy of being preached to or witnessed to or prayed for. But God has showed me not to ever call anybody less than me. He discovers that the dietary laws were no longer valid. There are dietary laws in the Old Testament that said you could not eat certain animals. That it was sin to do it. Not just bad health, but you couldn't do it because it was sin. Now, the sin is taken away. It's still bad for your health, but it's not sinful to eat bacon. Amen? And ham. Amen? It's not sinful. Eat too much of it, we'll have your funeral. But you understand God took, when Jesus died on that cross, the dietary laws died as well. A lot of things died on that cross, and Peter's catching up with it. He's learning that the laws of separation from all other nations, Israel is supposed to be all by itself, only worry about itself, not care about any other nation, and just keep its own heart right with God. Now, Paul is saying, sorry, Peter is saying, I have to worry about you, Cornelius. And that's revelation to him. 
The truth is all of us need to be corrected and taught and molded into Christ's likeness. This is what I find. There are, there are Christians who come to church and basically sit down and they go, all right, tell me something else I already agree with. Tell me what I already know. And that's not what church is all about. I hope you understand that when I study for preaching, when I teach any class, if I do anything with the word of God, I first have to learn. I have to be molded. I have to adjust what I understand. I'm constantly growing so that I can help you grow. Because there's no time that you'll say, I know it all. As a matter of fact, the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. Amen. My job is to teach you, but sometimes I've got to correct you and say, that's not right. This is not the right truth. The Bible predicts it and says, preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. For the time will come when they will not hear sound doctrine and not endure it. But they only want to pile up teachers that, that scratch their ears. That's what he's describing there in 2 Timothy. I talked to 13 Irish Roman Catholic priests throughout my time here in 28 years, and I yearned for them, like Peter, to go, the Lord showed me. I learned what the Bible said. It's a hard thing to be taught and to admit you're wrong. I wish a lot of YouTube-addicted Christians would admit to believe in wrong doctrine as well because there's, I can't untangle all the stuff that 20 hours of YouTube has gotten into you over the week. Just believe me. Be teachable by the word of God. Peter admits it. And then he asks in verse 29, he says, why am I here? Verse 29, therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, without arguing, as soon as I was sent for. And I asked, therefore, for what intent have you sent for me? I have no idea why I'm here. I like this. Now, I hope you know that when I came this morning, I know why I'm supposed to be here. But Peter, this, this is him standing up there, and he has no idea what he's supposed to do. I just know he's ready to preach. And then as you read, Cornelius reviews the last four days where he sends for Peter and Peter comes. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand Peter's about to preach the gospel. And I just thinking about this, I think Peter had no idea what he was walking into. He's standing there in front of that crowd of people. I don't know if there's 30 people, 50 people, 100 people. I don't know. But he's not only got those people that he's going to talk to that are Gentiles, he never thought he ever would, but he's got six guys behind him, Jews, who are watching him like a hawk. What are you gonna say, Peter? Are you gonna honor Moses? Are you gonna honor the law and tell all of these Gentiles they need to come down to Jerusalem and be approved as Jews before they get saved? He's got a lot of pressure on him. He's standing up there. He could flub up real bad, couldn't he? I don't think Peter knew what he was gonna do. But there's a great truth about giving the gospel. Number one, know the gospel. Know it yourself. Do you even know what the word gospel means? Do you know what it includes? If somebody says, what is the gospel? Could you tell them? That's very convicting because we, we claim, believe the gospel. Believe on Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. What is the gospel? Know it yourself. Make sure you've experienced it yourself. Secondly, open your mouth. Just say something about Jesus. Say something about heaven or hell. Bill and I were out yesterday, and this guy, Bill, says, uh, uh, that, that tract will tell you how to get saved. And the guy said, saved from what? <laughs> Bill went, uh, from hell. <laughs> Great conversation. 
Be willing to talk. That's what we've got to do. Don't be afraid. It's truth. Open your mouth. Third, trust the Holy Spirit will give you something to say that you didn't know you could say. Take your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Holding your place here. Matthew 10 in verse 19. Matthew 10, 19, when they deliver you up, you get in trouble for just talking about the Lord. Take no thought how or what you shall speak. Don't call your lawyer. Don't talk Gavin. Don't worry about what all you're going to say in your defense. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. So when, when you find yourself talking to somebody and, and, and actually opening your mouth and handing a gospel track and say, would you read this? I think we have a really cool leaflet there. It's a, it's a one-sided leaflet. It says, what are you doing on Sunday? And it makes it so easy to say, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? And you invite them to church. All of a sudden, the conversation starts going, well, what's the difference between you and my church? And you start talking. You go, I don't know. Just talk, and the Holy Spirit will help you. That's what you got to trust. Know what the gospel is. Make sure you experienced it. Open your mouth and then watch the Holy Spirit give you something to say. And you'll walk away going, I didn't know I knew all that. That is what Peter is about to experience. Look in chapter 10, back in Acts 10, verse 34. Acts 10, 34. What is the first thing he does? He opened his mouth. Amen. Look at what it says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, I love that, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of, of the, uh, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. After all the good he did, they murdered him. Verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but under witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick, alive, and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. Now there's a lot here, all right? And Peter here, let's get over here. Peter here summarizes the gospel. I mean, it's, the Holy Spirit gave him something to say here that is short, sweet, to the point, and it worked. Watch this. First thing he did is he reveals that God is not a respecter of persons, which means he doesn't care where you came from. He doesn't care where you've been. doesn't care what your skin color is or what your nationality is or what politics you're into. When it comes to the salvation of the soul, your soul has no color. Amen. The Jews actually believed that their Jewishness, oh, 
their nationality, their race, was all they needed to be welcomed by God. They saw themselves as superior, that God respected them more than he respected the Gentiles. The Jews believed the Gentiles were completely rejected by God, incapable of being saved. They're not part of the elect. But Peter is figuring out that a person's nationality, their race, their skin color means nothing to God when it comes to salvation and getting into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. God doesn't see your outside. He doesn't care whether every hair is in place and whether you have spots on your face, whether you, you're, you're, uh, whether you can walk or whether you can talk or whether you can, can fly. He cares. Are you interested in Jesus Christ? That's all he wants to know. You see, God is looking at the heart. Look at verse 35. In every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is a powerful scripture. When it says accept, it doesn't mean that God saves them because they fear him and they do righteousness. That's not salvation. That is an open door to them. See, when a person any person fears God and does righteous works, that person is showing they're seeking God. And I know a lot of people who are trying to do good. They, they fear God. And you know what? Those are the ones that God says, you know what? You've got an open opportunity. I'm going to make it very easy for you to get saved. You have my attention. Now, we're not talking about self-righteous works like the Pharisees because the Pharisees didn't have any of God's attention. We're not talking about people who are flippant about God and they just go to church because their, their parents drag them. But these are people, God, Peter says, there are people who are tired of their sin and they want to do right. You know, if you try and do right, you know what you'll discover? You can't. You can't live up to those laws. You can't live up to that expectation and it'll frustrate you. And that's a good thing. So let me ask you, do you fear God? Here's a man named Cornelius, and it says that he feared God. He prayed and depended upon God. He needed God. Used, people used to fear God. People used to naturally fear God, but they don't now. And I thought about this. Do you know why most people don't care about what the Bible says? They couldn't care less what I'm preaching right now. If they could be anywhere else, they would be, if their wife would let them. <laughs> Do you know why most people do not race up here to talk with me about their soul and their sin when I'm finished with my message? Do you know why so many young people laugh and mock and turn away from church and the Bible and Christianity when they hit 16, 17, 18? Do you know why so many people don't mind being liars? I think that is horrible that people have no conscience about telling a lie or about thievery or about being perverted kind of stuff that people are into today. Do you know why all of that's happening today? Because people don't fear God. They don't fear. You know what? We live in a world where there are millions of CCTV cameras. You know why? Because people don't fear God. When you don't think God's watching you, you have to be reminded that the government is. I'd much rather God, okay? <laughs> Too many people think God is a fairy tale, that he's a joke, a myth. He's just a way that people long ago made up to control the masses. And they think they can live just fine without God. Well, tell me, how's it working? 
How's our world today? You think it's safer than it was 20 years ago? How do you think things are working out with this liberated society? We're free of God. Let me tell you, we're doomed, folks. There are three things every parent must teach their children, and it's not reading, writing, arithmetic. There are three things every teacher needs to teach their children, and that is that God, that the God of this Bible is God Almighty. That God is awesome. When I, as an unsaved person, looked up at the sky and I studied astronomy and it was, in a, it was a hobby for me, but as I looked at the stars and I stayed up all night while my friends were out getting drunk and going to the disco, I loved astronomy. I wasn't saved, but I stood up there and I was awed. Then when I heard the gospel, I got saved, I realized I know who made it. <laughs> and it still awes me. It still wows me. We need to teach each generation that God is awesome, that he is right, and that he made everything, and it's not an accident. Secondly, every child needs to learn that God must be feared above everything else and everyone else. You know, a lot of parents, they, they raise their kids to fear mom and dad. Well, that only lasts for a little while, and then they're on their own, and they're out the door, and they don't care at all. You better teach them to fear God. And third, you need every kid needs to know that God loves his creation enough to die for it himself. Those are the three fundamental things. We always talk about God loves you, God loves you. But the love of God has no meaning until there is the fear of God that I'm in trouble. I'll ask you this, second thought. Do you strive to do righteous works or do you love your sin? See, Cornelius he lived in a culture, the Roman culture, already in the early 30s of the first century, already had some major problems in the ranks. Politics was starting to crumble. It'd take 400 more years, but there was such debauchery by the Romans and by the Roman soldiers especially. They took advantage of every community they lived in, they occupied. And here is, is Cornelius saying, I'm not going to live like my fellow soldiers. That took courage. He's not even saved. I have to ask, why is it most people are comfortable with their sins, with their rudeness and their bullying and their anger and their lying? It's because they don't think it matters. There's a man who made a, made a statement many years ago, said, the great motto of life is do as thou wilt. His name is Aleister Crowley. He's a demon-possessed man that has influenced generations since the 1950s, 1960s. Do as thou wilt. Do whatever you want. You are God. Well, the Western world stopped pushing our culture to, to do our best a long time ago. When I was a kid, you know what? It mattered if you combed your hair. Now, some of you don't have hair, so you don't have to worry about it. I know, I mean, it's okay. But when I was growing up, if you looked like Boris Johnson, <laughs> you go... What happened there? Now, that's just his style. It's, I'm not demeaning him. I'm just making fun of him. The point is, we expect people in power, politicians, doctors, we expect lawyers to do the right thing, don't we? And yet, we don't think it's right for everybody to actually, in our heart of hearts, say, I, I need and I want to do the right thing.
There's nothing wrong with pushing people to do the right things. There's nothing wrong with getting your kids out of bed at church. You do it on Monday. Why can't we do it on Sunday? I don't want to upset my kids. You're a liar. You don't want them upsetting you. That's what you mean. People need to become tired of their sin, and I mean really tired, so they're ready to get saved. He starts down there in verse 36, and he says, Cornelius, you need to know about Jesus. Verse 36, and he goes, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace, not just peace like peace and love like the hippies, but peace between God and sinner." Preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, Cornelius, you know it. You've already heard it, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Do you know what he's telling Cornelius? You don't have to be a Jew now. You don't have to have lived in Jerusalem or in Galilee and, and walked like I have walked. You can learn about Jesus Christ from the word of God. That word is all you need. Mary didn't bring peace, neither did the saints or angels, popes or princes, just Jesus. He's unlike anybody else who's ever lived before. Verse 38, look what it, how it describes him. God anointed this Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He never refused anybody. He actually went out of his way to help people. You know, the modern charismatic, he waits for people to come to his meetings so he could take up an offering. You know, if you really had the ability to be a help, wouldn't you go to somebody? Wouldn't you go and just help and without ever charging, without ever making a scene of it? And yet don't follow these charismatic televangelists who only make money and merchandise off of people in need. Realize Jesus Christ went everywhere and he'd search out and he'd find some people up in a tree like Zacchaeus. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you. Yeah, 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 you. <laughs> Come on down. I'm having lunch at your house. He went looking for him. I like that. Jesus is different than everyone before or after him. In verse 39, Peter says, we were there. We saw what he did. Verse 39, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. And they ended up, they slew and they hung on a tree. You know, Peter can testify of what Jesus can do. You know what Peter was? Peter was an angry, fighting fisherman. He, the rest of the disciples were, were messed up carpenters. There was one guy named Simon Zelotes, which means Simon the political zealot. If he had had the chance, he would have killed Cornelius with a stab under the fifth rib. He was a political zealot to get rid of Rome. And yet they were all transformed into godly husbands and preachers of the gospel. They once were fearful and ashamed, but now they're full of courage and passion to tell the world that Jesus saves. That's what Peter is saying. I'm proof. I'm a witness of what Jesus can do. Why, why do you need to know? It's because God has made Jesus your judge. Verse 40, whom God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but under witnesses, chosen before our God, even to us who did eat. Hey, we drank with him. We, after he rose from the dead, we handled him. He's alive. We can prove it. Verse 43. And verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick 
Those are the living and of the dead. In other words, Cornelius, everybody's going to be judged by Jesus. I know we all say, well, there's a great judgment way out there. I know, I know, but did you read there? God has made it so that you're going to face Jesus Christ and he will judge you. And he says, verse 43, he says, the entire Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, including Cornelius, believeth in him shall receive the remission. We use the word removal of sins. All of the Old Testament pointed to one great person and one great event, Jesus and the removal of our sins. There's nothing more important than that. And you know what happened at that moment? I call it instant salvation. Now, when I was a kid, the big thing was porridge. We had instant porridge. Did you ever? I'm sure they still have that today, right? Yeah. You go in, you rip the top off of a bag, you pour it in there uh, into your bowl, you pour water in there, and you just slop it in. And it's instant. All right. You know, a lot of those things aren't very healthy for you, but there is one thing that is instant that is best for you. It's called belief. It's called being born again. It doesn't take a process. It doesn't take a journey. It doesn't take years. It can happen and it should happen instantly. Look what happens. Peter's preaching his heart out. And without Peter even giving an invitation, verse 44, it says, and while Peter yet spake these words, he hasn't even finished his message. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcisions which believed, all those other Jews there which were believing, they were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Just stop there for a second. There was a spiritual reaction to the preaching of the cross. You know what it was? Belief. I believe it. You know, a lot of times there are communication problems between people, and your boss or whatever. And, and uh, you know, if you just sat down and you're able to explain things, and all of a sudden you go, I understand. I believe you. I, I trust you. And you go forward. And a lot of people come to the Bible and it's all confusion until one day. Something is said in preaching or in a track you read or just the experience that you're going through. And then, boom, the light goes on. You go, I understand. I believe it. That's the moment you get saved. That's how fast it is. It's not complicated. A child can believe, can't they? <laughs> Cornelius got born again instantly. He was saved from his sins. He was invisible, but it was just as real as anything else. Peter didn't have to do anything. Didn't have to lay hands on him. All Peter did was preach. And guess what? There are two works I'm going to point out here at the end of this thing. God is at work trying to get a soul winner to go. And then God is at work in the heart of the hearer to hear and listen and believe. And then God gave a sign. A proof that they had gotten saved. Now, Cornelius could say, I believe, but those other, those six other Jews, and probably even Peter would say, yeah, yeah, you believe, but you're not equal to us. We're Jews. We know the entire Old Testament. We're superior, and we've got the Holy Spirit, and you don't. And all of a sudden, here's Cornelius, and he begins to speak in Hebrew, and I wish I could say Genesis 1-1, 
but he began to quote scripture, be able to speak in language in Hebrew that he didn't know. And it stopped Peter dead in his tracks and those other six Jews. And they turned around and they saw all of that crowd speaking in tongues in Hebrew language. And they all went, they're just as saved as we are. That was the purpose of the tongues. It wasn't so they had a second gift. It wasn't so that they could pray that way all their life. It was to prove to the Jews, Gentiles, you and me, are just as saved as them. The sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit was was big deal back in Acts chapter 2 when all of those people in 120 up in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with other languages of all the other people that were in Jerusalem at that day, it proved God's presence was with them and that they were right and the Jews needed to get saved. And 3,000 got saved, didn't they? And here are these Gentiles getting the same benefit, the same gift that those Jews had. And it was all because of Jesus Christ. It just equalized everything. And ladies and gentlemen, let me be very clear. We do not need the gift of tongues now. You don't need to have the gift of tongues to prove you're saved now. That gift is finished. But let me tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, people will tell. It's apparent. It is evident. If you're married, people can tell. Amen. If you have children, people will be able to tell you're a mother, aren't you? <laughs> and if you're saved, people at work and people at school, people at home will go, what's up? You're different. Amen. The Holy Spirit has an effect on us. Now, let me finish this up with this thought. Then comes baptism. Watch this, verse 47. And Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him, asked him to tarry certain days. That was the time to get baptized, not before. Do you know, there are too many people, too many people are trusting in their baby baptism. I, uh, on, on Friday, I was with Tony and John. We were in town. And this guy, very, just a good guy. I mean, he stopped and he talked to me about the gospel and about salvation. And he says, nope, I'm trusting. I was baptized as a baby. I'm trusting that that's enough. I said, do you even remember it? <laughs> no, I don't. I said, how do you know it worked? Well, they told me. I said, mm, are you still a sinner? He says, well, every once in a while. And I said, then it didn't work. You must be born again. <laughs> and there are too many people who are trusting in their baby baptism. That's all they need to do. Let me tell you, baptism comes after you're born again. Amen? Not before. There's a crowd out there that says, no, you got to be baptized when you're born again. Liars! When did Cornelius get baptized? When he was getting saved or after? After. Baptism is you after you got saved, showing the world that you're following Jesus Christ. It's a sign that you and your family are committed to following the Lord forever. Don't think you need to be baptized to be accepted of God. The thief on the cross never got baptized, did he? Couldn't come down off the cross, couldn't get baptized. He was welcome in the kingdom, wasn't he? Today, Jesus said, thou shalt be with me in paradise. You need to just be like Cornelius and react spiritually in your heart and believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and wants you. And after that, you get baptized. 
Somebody says, I'm ready to get baptized. I'll always ask him, are you saved? Well, I'm hoping that by the time I get back, no, 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 you're wasting your time. Get saved, and then we get baptized. Three real quick thoughts. So the purpose of speaking in tongues and acts is evidence, proof, a sign to Israel that Gentiles are just as saved as they are. That's the reason why they had the gift of speaking in tongues. It was not for entertainment. It was not for prayer. It was as a sign to the Jews, and the Corinthian church abused it. They didn't. They're not to be example for us to follow. Uh, and that's all that it is. Secondly, I want to say there are two great works of God taking place right now in, in our midst. One is God is working on the heart of the Christian, of us Christians, to get us to go. It took God motivating Peter, and he's telling him over and over. I've made some things clean now. I've made a way for the Gentiles to get saved. I want you to go. It took time after time to convince Peter that when these Gentiles show up, that he says, I'll go. In our church, that's our motto. Let's go. Don't just leave it to somebody else. God's, one of God's great works is to motivate Christians to care about the lost, to go and just hand out a gospel track, invite them out to church, start there. But Get the gospel out. And the second great work is on the heart of the, he of the lost to care about their soul enough to listen to the gospel. Both are works of God. Now, I can't control anybody but me. So when the Holy Spirit works on my heart and says, let's go, I need to say, okay. But let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart saying, it's time to get saved, you know what I would do if I were you? I'd say, okay. I wouldn't fight God anymore. I'm. Paul said, I'm tired of kicking against the pricks. Today's the day to get saved. Both are great works of God, and God's at work in your heart. I guarantee you, you're here not by accident. Cornelius was out there, was looking for God, and there are Corneliuses right now, desperately looking for God, and they don't know where to find him. And you have a gospel tract, maybe, or you need to grab one, hand it out, and it could make the difference to them. And dear friend, let me just say this. If you're not saved, you need to take God seriously enough to believe Jesus. Don't believe me. Don't believe your church. Don't believe anybody. Believe the book that says Jesus died for you and rose again. and He loves you and he wants you. It'll be the answer to your soul's greatest need. Will you stand with me and bow your head in prayer? This is the, with your eyes closed, thinking about this, this is, a climax. Now, there are several climaxes in the book of Acts, but this is a big deal. The door to Ireland is open now. Now, everybody's going to hear the gospel. And they're just as equal as the Jews because the book, the Bible, is all we need. Have you heard it today? Have I done my best? Probably not. I could do better. Will you think for a moment there? What is my soul's biggest need? Your soul's biggest need is not more money. Your soul's biggest need is not found in your house or in your work or in your bank account. It's, it's, it's found at the foot of the cross. It's found in humility saying, God, I'm lost without hope. I need Jesus Christ. If Jesus is alive, I want him to live in me. I never heard any of that growing up. 
I could have been abandoned, left alone, but some woman cared enough about a 17-year-old kid and asked him, where was he going when he died? It made the difference in my life. Invited me out to church, took eight weeks. But like Cornelius, I believed, changed my life. Dear Christian, will you just take this as Peter? If Peter continued to argue with God, Cornelius would have died and gone to hell. It's time we take what we're called to do seriously. And you can be six years old or 60 and can win people to Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we stay busy. Father, please bless what we've heard today. Please help us to allow you to work and to yield to your work in our lives, God. You're working on Christians to get us just to go and open our mouth because I know you're already at work in the lost to get them to humble themselves and to see their soul is lost and in need of Jesus. Please save somebody today. Help everybody in this room. God, get, get excited about the gospel and what it can do. In Jesus' name, amen.